The following audio is from a sermon series entitled King Jesus, studying the life and work of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord today from Mark 1, chapter 1, verses 29 through 45, and let's continue to see how Jesus touches lives that never remain the same once he touches them. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Forrest Gump, I think he he may have said it best. I actually tried, I sat in front of a computer and watched this clip trying to get the impersonation down, but I didn't get it. So I think he said it best though. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get right? Life seems like to get that one sweet piece of chocolate, you have to go through two or three pretty miserable tasting chocolates just to find that one. And, and life is kind of like that too, where, where we experience high highs and low lows. We go through joyous times and we go through miserable times. Relationships can get hard. Physically, our bodies deteriorate. We have concerns about our kids and their future. We have concerns about our own future. And if it's not one thing, It's another. Oftentimes, in my experience, when you're going through seasons of misery, it it can feel a lot like being alone in in a crowded room. Like people are around you, but nobody quite understands. Nobody can hear you. It seems like nobody can really help. And if we're honest, we, we might have doubts that God is even listening to us, that he can hear us, or if he's even paying attention to us, let alone help us in our time of need. If you can relate to this in any capacity, I'm glad the Lord has brought you here this morning because today's passage speaks directly into the question, does God hear me and can he do anything about my situation? So my prayer is, as we look at this text and the Holy Spirit does his work, I pray that he would reveal to us that we have a God who listens. We have a God who's willing to move toward us and to touch us and ultimately to restore us 
to the way things are supposed to be. So if you would, please open your Bible, open your app to first, uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verse 29. And while you're doing so, I want to set the stage because we've been kind of out of sync uh, since we missed last week. Uh, where we left off is Jesus has started his ministry. He's called a handful of men to come and be his disciples. And they've entered into the, the, the synagogue. And, and while they're in the synagogue, Jesus stands up and he starts teaching. And he does so in a manner that's really, really rare, I guess, or unique. It's different from the other religious leaders and, and uh, priests. That he stands up there and he preaches with authority. And we see him preaching with authority, but then we also see him demonstrate his authority by casting out a demon. And, and if there's one or oh, a couple things that get people to turn their heads, it's start talking like nobody's talked before and start casting demons out. People wonder what's going on. And with that, Jesus' fame, it says in verse 28, that his fame spread across the land. He became viral. People were crazy about him. They were wondering what's going on. And this is before we have any social media or anything like that to help us spread the news. People are really curious and wondering what's going on. And so that brings us to today's passage. And we get to look at three different stories. The woman who's, who's made well, we see Jesus praying, and we see Jesus healing a leper. And if, if I'm honest, of those three, the first one's kind of lame, right? Jesus does a lot of really cool things in his ministry. He heals lepers. He, he literally raises dead people to life, and it's pretty exciting stuff. But here we have a woman who's just sick. She's got a little cold. She's got a fever. And for some reason, it's included in Mark's gospel. And, and there's a good reason for this, because as Mark is writing this gospel, he's doing so through the eyes of Peter, the apostle of Jesus. And so this is a story that may not have a, a significant amount of weight to us as far as the, the greatness or the, the extravagance of this interaction, but this is really important to Peter, because it's personal. We're talking about his mother-in-law being healed here. And so this gives us proof that, that Mark's gospel was given to us through the eyes of Peter and written within 25 years of Jesus' death. But what I want to do is I want to move quickly through the first 10 verses of our passage this morning and, and really hunker down in the third story. Because I think as we unfold and unpack this third story, it's going to give us a, a, a deeper meaning, more significance to our previous two stories. So go ahead, look at verse 29. We see Jesus and his new disciples. They're leaving the synagogue. They're going to Peter's house for a little R&R. And as they're on their way, Peter starts telling Jesus about his sick mother-in-law. You know, Peter's thinking, well, I just saw Jesus cast out a demon. Maybe he can do something about my mom's cold. And so when they get to Peter's home, they find this woman laid up in bed. She's not, she's not well enough to even get out of bed to greet her guests. And this is significant because back in Jewish times, in Jewish culture, hospitality is a really big deal. It's more than just good manners. This is, this is a virtue, a highly esteemed virtue that, that people sought out for this. When a guest would come over... Uh, the, the host of the home would greet their guests with a warm embrace. They would wash their feet. They would give them new clothes if their clothes were dirty. They would tend to their animals. They would give their guests the best seat at the table and put some good food out in front of them. Not Little Caesar's pizza, but like real prime rib, four-course meal, dessert, the whole thing. They'd pull out all the stops for their guests. And what they were trying to do was essentially make their guests feel like a king. This was a grand gesture for the host. It brought them honor to be hospitable, put them in good social standing with their peers. And if they failed to be hospitable, it was humiliating. It was to their shame. 
And so in this story, we have Peter's mother-in-law. She's ill. She can't get out of bed. And she's feeling humiliated. She's got a guest in her living room, and she is unable to fulfill her responsibilities. And this is just isn't any guest. This isn't a neighbor or a family friend or a family coming over to visit. This is the Son of God, the King of Kings. Now, other royalty would be upset with this woman. They'd be furious that, that, they're, that they're not being tended to like they ought to be. But Jesus, he's not offended. He's not upset. He listens to what's going on. He hears the physical pain of this woman, even if it is a fever. She's in pain. She's unable to get out of bed. She, he sees her social embarrassment that she cannot fulfill her role as a host of the home. And so in verse 31, Jesus reaches out, he takes her by the hand, and he makes her well. Let's take a step back for a minute and look at this. This is significant. Jesus, the king of kings, is listening to his people and meeting their needs. Guys, we have a, a king who listens. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you know, yeah, that sounds good in theory, but, you know, I'm in the midst of suffering right now, and it doesn't seem like God's listening to me. I'm crying out to him and nothing's happening. I'm going, maybe you're going through a tough marriage. Your kids are being rebellious. You're in between jobs. Life isn't what you imagine. It makes it hard to believe that God is actually listening. And at the root of our suffering, we must remember, at the root of our suffering is Sin. And our sin, it might be our sin, our sin of others who are sinning against us, or just the, the condition of living in a fallen, sinful world, which makes us suffer. And as we get deeper into this passage, I want to show you how God deals with sin, and one day suffering will be no more. Right before Christmas time, uh, a movie came out called Exodus, Gods, and Kings featuring Christian Bale. Uh, and this is a, a film that was based on this, the Exodus story where God delivers his people from Egyptian slavery, although the, the film itself is not biblical in its standards, I, I suppose. But one of the things that this director did really well is he, he did a great job of, of showing us the misery of these people, of, of the Jewish people who are in slavery. They, they're facing beatings. The, the sun is scorching down on them. They're being humiliated and verbally assaulted. They've got high standards that they're required to reach. Otherwise, they get whipped. And he just shows the condition of how difficult it is for these people. And so it makes sense why in chapter 2 of Exodus, God's people would start to moan and groan and cry for help. But what I think the director misses in this story is the most scandalous part. It's not, not the fact that, that Jesus or God turned the, the river into blood or that locusts and gnats infested the land or that he even split the Red Sea so his people could walk through it. I think the most scandalous part of this story is the fact that God listens. The psalmist is stunned by this, and he says to God, who is man that you would be mindful of him? Why would you care for man? If, if God is so big and so glorious and so, so vast and man is so small and so insignificant, why would you turn your ear to us? 
And the real scandal is here in Exodus 2, 24 and 25, where it says this, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And this is a theme that runs all throughout scripture. People are crying out to God, and he listens. Look at the Psalms. People are crying out to God in need. Look at the prophets. They're crying out to God for revival. The kings are crying out to God for victory. The afflicted are crying out to God for comfort. And scripture shows us time and time again that we have a God who listens to his people. That he hears them in their misery and in their groaning. And his ears are not deafened. God listens. Jesus listens. There's a a passage in James that says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. I I kind of have this backwards a lot of the times where I'm I'm awfully quick to speak and pretty slow to hear. And, And as I was thinking about this passage and how God listens to us and this charge for us to listen, I realized that that this is something that that the Lord needs to work in me and work on me through this. And so last week as I was writing um, my sermon and preparing for today, I was, uh, I had an interaction with an acquaintance. Um, He was watching a commentary on a show that won the Golden Globe for best uh, comedy television show. Um, It's called Transparent. It's about uh, an older man in his 70s who comes out uh, late in his life as a transgender. Um, and I had watched a couple episodes. I don't recommend the show. There's, it's not wholesome at all. Um, but I had watched a few episodes, so I kind of had an idea about the show and what was going on. And so I approached him and I asked him what he thought about the show. And um, typically our conversations last about five minutes, talk about the weather, talk about the news, whatever. It's pretty shallow. But that day, the Lord was doing something. The Spirit was working, and our conversation turned into an hour and a half long. And in that time, he confessed to me, told me that, that he himself identified as transgender, that it was something that he had struggled with for most of his life. That, and, and, he, and as he told me about this, there was a lot of things that I wanted to say to him. I wanted to tell him that, that your identity is not in your in your gender, it's in Christ. I wanted to tell him that, that this confusion is a product of the fall. I wanted to tell him that God didn't mess up when he made you. But I felt the spirit holding my tongue and telling me to listen, to listen. And as I listened, I heard a man who was in misery. I heard a man who had experienced a lot of pain. He told me about all the bullying that he suffered as a child and, and all the shame that brought, the shame of being different or feeling different. He told me about um, the fear that he has as he tells his friends and his family about this lifestyle he's starting to identify with. He has, has fear that he's going to get cut off. This is a man who needed someone to listen, who needed someone to hear him. And although I didn't get to say the things that I I wanted to say, I think the Lord put me there to listen to him and to, to be like Jesus to him, to hear him and to sympathize with him and to, and to hear him in his pain. And I'm praying that this man will meet Jesus through our relationship. But what this man needs is someone who hears him. And I think listening is difficult for the church. The church has lots to say, and it's rightly so. The church possesses the only message of salvation, 
But that message is useless if we don't understand how to apply it to others. Sometimes we're so busy talking past people that we miss what they're really longing for, what they're, they're searching for, and we're unable to show them how Jesus is better. Let me ask you, how, how good are you at listening? Do you know your neighbors or your coworkers' stories? Do you know their troubles and their fears and their insecurities? Do you know what's holding them down? Do you know where they're trying to find their story's happy ending? Our Lord does. And Lord, I'm praying that you would make us a church that listens well and speaks the truth. We see that Jesus listened not only to this woman who is ill, but he listens to everyone who approached him. Verse 32 says that when the Sabbath day was over, the whole city was at the door. They were waiting to meet Jesus, and people were wanting to be healed. People with demons, people with sickness. And Jesus listened, and he did something about their misery. And then in the next story, we see Jesus going out to a desolate place for prayer. And this is more than just a prayer in the car on the way to work sort of thing. This is prayer where Jesus carved out time to be intimate with God, to know his Father, to search his will, and to understand his mystery. This isn't an isolated event. When things are about to get busy for Jesus or when things are chaotic for Jesus, Jesus goes to pray. How does this contrast to your life? When you get busy, is the first thing to go your solitude time, your time with Jesus? I know that that is often the case for me. Guys, but how foolish and how arrogant that is to think that we can bypass time with the Father to be productive, that is so wrong, so backwards. Because the truth is, the more time you spend with the Father, the more productive you will be. The more you can handle, the more you can put on your plate. Because prayer makes us realize how dependent we are. It makes us realize how dependent on God we are as an employee, as a parent, as a spouse, as a coworker, as a neighbor. But it also makes you realize the Lord's strength. And that it's available to you, and so you can press on. And prayer also renews our sense of purpose. It shows us how to use our energy and our strength that the Lord gives us. It shows us how to live according to God's will. And we see this when Peter comes back looking for Jesus in verse 37. He comes back and says, Jesus, people are looking for you. They can't get enough of you. Come, come continue to teach these people. But Jesus comes away from his prayer time. And in verse 38, he says, let's go to the next town that I might preach there also. For this is why I came out. Jesus not only listens to those people around him, but he listens to his father. Now at Sacred City, we have what we call identities and rhythms. Identities are, are who we are, the core of us, the identities that God gives us. And our rhythms are, are how we live in light of those identities. And one of our rhythms at Sacred City is to listen to God both backward and forward. Backward and forward. Now that means to listen backward is to listen to God's word according to how he has revealed himself to us in his scripture. And to listen forward is to listen how the Holy Spirit leads us in light of who God is and what God has done. 
And we see Jesus listening to God, both backward and forward, reflecting on who God is and moving forward in light of that. And he is led to continue his ministry by the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, a leper comes to Jesus. And to understand the significance of this interaction, we must understand what it means to be a leper. This is, to be a leper is to live the most miserable of lives, to be a dead man walking. It's like being subhuman. Leprosy is a horrible disease where your body rots as if it were dead. Your finger and toes, your nose, ears, other appendages fall off, rashes, boils, sores fill your body. The stench, can you imagine the stench of your body as it's rotting? And if you're thinking you're having a bad hair day as you stand before the mirror, all you need to do is Google image search a leprosy and be reminded of how insignificant your misplaced hair is in light of the extreme physical condition of a leper. Later on, doctors will discover that, that one of the things that makes leprosy so bad is that they lose feeling in their nerve endings, that they're numb to pain. So they could wash their faces with scalding hot water and be severely burned. They could step on glass or other debris and get an infection on their foot, not knowing they stepped on anything and have a cut. This is disgusting that, that literally rodents would eat them as they're sleeping. They couldn't feel it. It's miserable. Essentially a painless hell. And the effects were not only physical to their body, to their external appearance, but relational, emotional, and spiritual. Leviticus has very specific instructions about what a leper is to do, how he's supposed to live. He's supposed to wear rags to be dirty and messy, not clean up. He's supposed to have crazy, messy hair, not comb it. He's supposed to declare themselves unclean as people approach them. So, so that means that lepers no longer have a name. They, they now adopt the name of unclean. That's how they identify. That's their identity. And with that, they're ostracized from society No one wants to see them. No one wants to touch them. Families, once they found out they were sick, would oftentimes never touch them again. This person went the rest of their life without being touched. It's like having Ebola. Like nobody wants to touch someone with Ebola. No one wants to be in that same room because there's the fear of being sick. The only way someone's going to approach you if you have Ebola is if you're gowned up in a giant spacesuit. And so it is with leprosy. And then they're shunned to live a lonely life outside the city in a leper colony. Literally a colony full of other lepers, small city of misery. They're not allowed to come into the city to shop, to eat, for shelter, for for their family. They're essentially left out on the city, abandoned for dead. Not only are the social impact heavy, but they couldn't help but feel abandoned by God because this means that they can no longer attend worship at the temple or in the synagogue. And very rarely would a priest or religious leader come out to see them or to minister to them. And so it was essentially like being cut off from God. They're left in pure misery. Dr. Paul Brand, he was a, a missionary to India in recent history. He went to India for the reason of helping lepers. And as, as he started his ministry there, uh, he, was met, he met a man who was covered in head to toe with sores and boils. He was missing fingers. And, and Dr. Brand uh, met this man and he, and he reached out and he touched his shoulder to assure him, hey, we're going to do what we can to help you. We want to help you out here. And with that touch, this man started weeping 
just sobbing uncontrollably. And, and he, was, he was wondering, did I offend this man? Did I, did I do something culturally inappropriate? And, and the translator was there and she said to him, no, this man hasn't been touched in years. This man had been so cut off to society. He's been so cut off that he forgot what it was like to be touched. He was living for years and years and years a subhuman life, and now it's as if that one touch restored him to humanity to make him feel like a human again. Now the question is, how do we relate to this leper? You know, I, I look here, no one, to my knowledge, is being publicly shunned. Looks like everybody, uh, their hygiene seems to be up to par. Nobody's got flesh wounds stenching up the place. We're in pretty good shape, right? But the Greek scholar R.C. Trench says that, that this man's leprosy is the outward visible sign of mankind's innermost spiritual corruption. What he's saying is that what this leper looks like on the outside is what we look like on the inside. And this sickness that we have is not caused by leprosy, but it's caused by sin. And so today I stand before you as a, spir- a spiritual physician telling you that you have a diagnosis of spiritual leprosy, that sin is destroying you. And you're going to die from it. It's terminal. And just like leprosy left people living a s- subhuman life, sin leaves us living a subhuman life. Because we were designed to live a full life, a satisfying life. In the garden, Adam and Eve had a taste of this. They had a relational harmony. They got along with each other well. Their bodies were always functioning on all cylinders. Labor was rewarding and productive. And most importantly, their relationship with God was completely fulfilling and satisfying. And then the fall happened. They fell into sin And all the good things that they had started to become untrue. They started fighting with each other, which would lead to to murder and wars. Their lifespan shortened greatly. They went from living from some 800, 900 years to now we feel pretty good about hitting 80, 85. And the biggest blow of this fall was the relationship with God suffered. They lost the ability to be in his presence. And with that, they were escorted out of the garden, never to return. And this left a void in their heart that needed to be filled. They were looking for other gods and worshiping other gods, but everything that they worshiped that wasn't God left their heart empty and unsatisfied. Therefore, sin caused them, causes us to live a subhuman life. We're not living the way we ought to be. Things aren't the way they should be, and part of us knows that. Part of us knows that ISIS shouldn't be killing innocent people. The rich shouldn't be getting richer off the expense of the poor. Babies, the most vulnerable in our society, shouldn't be aborted. Marriages shouldn't be broken up. People shouldn't feel alone or isolated. This is the misery that sin brings. And, it's, and as much as we want to see it as an out there problem, like ISIS is the problem, that, that uh, those CEOs who are taking advantage of poor people, they're the problem. It's not an out there problem. It's an in here problem. That behind every hideous, every hideous headline is the same motivations which we possess deep in our fallen heart. Selfishness, greed, envy, pride, arrogance, lust. It's in us. 
The problem is us. But it can be hard to see that we are the problem. It can, it can be hard to see that the problem is actually inside us. Like leprosy, sin deadens our nerves. We can't recognize how bad we are. Kent Hughes says in his commentary on this passage that the less we know that there's anything wrong with us, the more full-blown our leprosy is. So if, if you're sitting here convinced this morning that, that you aren't ill, that you, you aren't sick with, with leprosy of the spirit, then you have it so bad that it has blinded you. And this might come as a shock to you, but if you cannot see that you are sick, if you cannot see your need, if you cannot see how, how broken you are, then Jesus isn't for you. Jesus said to himself in chapter 2 that he has come not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. I've come for those who are sick. I cannot call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. So to be a Christian, you must be honest about your situation. You can't ignore the problem. Christianity doesn't downplay the problem. It shows us how big the problem is that the Son of God had to come and die. So Christianity makes us, be, makes us brutally honest about our situation. And some of you get it. Some of you are completely aware of the devastation of sin and how bad it has messed you up on the inside. You can point to places in your life where sin has run its course and done only stealing and destroying. But the... But the reality of your, your sickness pushes you into despair rather than pushing you into the Savior. And you think, who could love a leper? How could anyone touch me when they see how dirty I am? Who is willing to touch me in my sick state? And the answer is Jesus. That only in Christianity does God move toward the sickly and afflicted and the unclean. Other religions say to clean up your act, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and when you get clean, then you can come to God. Once you've proved you're a good person, then you can come to God. And they keep lepers at a distance. But Jesus, on the contrary, moves toward lepers. He moves toward you and I. In verse 40, the leper says to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. It's not a matter of if Jesus can do it. It's a matter of if Jesus is willing. And his answer is in verse 41, moved with pity, compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus is able and willing to move toward you in your sickness. That he is willing to touch you. Jesus isn't revolted by this man. He, he was compassionate towards this man. I love the way Christian Wyman, poet, says it. He says, compassion is someone else's suffering flaring up in your own nerves. Jesus felt this man's pain. Even the pain the man couldn't feel, Jesus felt it. And it was that compassion that compelled him to stretch out his hand and to touch this man. And just imagine that touch. Just imagine it. As Jesus touches this man, instant healing. His toes come back. His fingers come back. The sores on his face fade away. 
The smell is gone. This man is smiling for the first time in years. The sickness is gone. Jesus has made this man better by his touch. And this touch isn't something that we should take lightly, nor did Jesus take lightly. Levitical law says that if if someone touches a leper, they themselves become unclean. That they would have to go through extensive washing. That they themselves would be isolated. That they would have to perform sacrifice. But this doesn't keep Jesus. This doesn't prevent Jesus from touching this man. In fact, Jesus' touch is so powerful that instead of Jesus becoming contaminated by this leper, he decontaminates this leper. Jesus purifies this man. This is the real Jesus. Look at verse 45. Something very significant happens. There's an exchange where Jesus exchanges places with the leper. The leper is free. He's sent to go back into the city and to to re-enter society. And Jesus is left outside of the city. That, That as this man goes and he tells of Jesus, Jesus is prevented from going into any city without causing some sort of riot. So Jesus who could once walk through the city is now outside and now the man who was once isolated in a leper colony is sent back into the city. This points us to an even greater exchange where Jesus would be led to a hill outside of the city and hung on a cross. That Jesus would become our sickness, the sin that contaminates our hearts, Jesus would become. And by his sacrifice, by his atonement, we would be made pure. That we would become his righteousness. That our sickness is exchanged for his health. I love how our uh, absolution put it this morning. In, In Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus, he was despised and rejected by man. He was a man of sorrows. And he was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces from, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. This is it. Here on the cross, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, that brought us healing. And it's with his wounds we are healed. It's there on the cross where Jesus experiences what it's like to be subhuman. He knows our pain. He knows the suffering that we face to be subhuman. And he took that on himself. This is the only way for our sickness to be treated. There is no other cure. The only way for us to be cleansed is for us to put our faith in Jesus and what he has done to cleanse us there on the cross, to wash us white as snow. Sin, the sin in us must be put to death and there on the cross it was put to death and then Christ rose in victory over sin and death. So now, because of his atoning sacrifice, because of of the transfer of righteousness uh, from our sinfulness to him and his righteousness to us, because of that, there is no more isolation for us. 
Death is no more. Sin's power is empty. The illness is cured. And with that, we live a human life again. And not just a human life. We're restored to be a new humanity. A new humanity where we are restored to God and his purposes. Guys, that is good news. And as I close, I, I know I started off by saying that this story gives our previous stories greater significance. And I, want, I just want to show you very quickly that, that this man who was healed, this leper who was healed, he was restored to humanity. To, he was sent to re-enter society to meet his family and friends once again and, and ultimately sent to be restored to God. And if we go back to our second story, Jesus shows us what it looks like to be restored to God. He shows us what it's like to have access to our Father. And if this is the God who heals us with his touch, if this is the God who's willing to die for us, to cleanse us of our sin, to to give us a new life, then don't you want to be intimate with that God? Don't you want to know him better? Wouldn't you want to taste and see his goodness day in and day out? What a, there's no better way than to be with the Lord in prayer. And then with that, we see as, as uh, God restores man back to society and God restores man back to God himself, we see that God restores man to his purpose. And as we go back to the first story, Peter's mother-in-law, she is, when she's healed, she sent, is sent to serve, or she starts serving. That's her natural reaction. That she, and, and so it is with us, that as we are healed, as we're touched by Jesus, that we are sent to serve our king. And then we do that by serving and blessing each other. The story of the leper gives us more significance, that we see that God restores us. God moves us into a deeper relationship with him and fellowship with God, with Jesus, with the Godhead three in one. And he moves us and sends us out on his mission to be a blessing, to serve, and to do so unto the king. This is what it looks like to be touched by Jesus. He cleanses you. He washes you. He purifies you of your sin. He makes you new. He has listened to our cries for help. He has moved toward us and he has touched us, cleansing us of all sin. And he has restored us to God's purpose. Imagine, just imagine for a moment the effect that this would have on our city if we really believe this. We would share the good news of how Jesus is the great physician cleansing all of their sin and death and misery and suffering. We would listen to others. We would listen to God. We would actively pursue intimacy with him. We would serve and bless one another, show what Christ has done for us. We would move toward those in misery like Christ has moved toward us in our misery. This is what it would look like when our, aunt, our prayer for heaven to come to earth would look like. This is, this is a display of the new kingdom. And now we look forward, knowing that G, what Jesus has done on the cross has been once and for all, that we can have assurance of our salvation, assurance of our cleansing, assurance that we are made right with God. And that one day... One day we'll be completely removed from our sickness and sin. Because right now we still battle. Right now we still fight our sin. Sin is still present. 
But one day, sin, sickness, suffering will be completely removed and we will be able to delight in our Father. We'll be able to delight in the one who has cleansed us, the one who has made a way for us. And so we look to him and we give him praise and we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Heavenly Father, we... We are so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, that you have shown us who you are, that you continue to reveal yourself to us as King of kings and Lord of lords, and we know you not just as King of kings, as a a tyrant above all things, but we know you as a king who is compassionate and willing to enter into people's misery and know their suffering and ultimately take that upon himself. So, Lord, we praise you as the only king who has scars, the only king who knows our suffering and our sorrows and our misery, and the king who does something about it, who touches us, who makes us right with you, who gives us a new hope for that day when freed from sinning, when freed from the effects of sin, when everything bad becomes untrue. So, Lord, we praise you for your salvation. We praise you for what you've done to heal us, Lord God. And we pray that you would make it true in us, that that you would continue to work and make us like your son. You continue to make us uh, better missionaries and better servants. God, not, not for our fame, not for our glory, but for the glory of him who sits above all things, who sits high on his throne, who is high and lifted up. God, let it be true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.